Hey, before we dive into today's message, um, I know they're getting some things set. Uh, just a few quick things that I just want to say. I'm excited about today. Today's going to be good. It's going to be very good. But did you say bacon? Because that's exactly what I was about to talk about was bacon. Can we give it up for Lorenz for cooking this morning? And also give it up to Andrea and Jen and Jim Waltersdorf and Anthony for the work that they put in. Thank you guys so, so much. It was delicious. I, I'll tell you, like, I don't eat bacon a lot, but I was just like, man, it's, I just can't stop. Just right now, it's like, I don't know if it was the extra butter on the bacon or, um, or what it was. Hey guys, I am excited about today because today we have a very special guest and um, I'm going to invite him up here in just a moment, but I want to just kind of share a little bit about uh, this couple. Uh, Jesse and Rochelle Diggs are with us this morning and they are from, well actually from this area, uh, but they currently have been living in Africa and I just have a bio that I want to read about them because I need to make sure I get it all correct. Um, but Jesse and Rochelle are the co-founders of Send 56, not Sin, S-I-N, Send, that's my Southern coming out, S-E-N-D, 56, and Send 56, I have to enunciate that. They exist to reach the 900 unreached people groups in Africa with the gospel of Jesus. Jesse and Rochelle have been serving the African missions movement since 2008 when they moved to Uganda uh, in Africa to start the work the Lord laid on their hearts to reach the Muslim community for Christ. Uh, their hearts are to disciple and mobilize a generation of African missionaries to love Jesus, fulfill the Great Commission, and to usher in the return of the Lord. Uh, both Jesse and Rochelle were interns at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, where they were trained in night and day worship and prayer, and they carry that heart of prayer into everything that they do, and I think you'll pick up on that really quick in just a few moments. City Church, you guys, we have been partnering with Sin 56 and supporting them uh, for seven years now, and since uh, we started partnering with them, they have grown to three bases and have over 50 missionaries on the field reaching unreached people groups and essentially planting these churches and house of prayers in an area where the gospel was not before. Um, and I believe that that what they're gonna deposit today is gonna be amazing. It is an honor to have them here. And so if you would, please stand to your feet as I welcome the one and the only Jesse Diggs to the stage. Give it up. Thanks. I am the only Jesse Diggs that I know of. Um, Awesome. Good to be with you all. Happy Father's Day. I can't see any of you. He said he was going to turn the lights on. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to the men in the room, men in the house. Can you just clap for the fathers in the room? <laughs> fathers are important, aren't they? We need them. We need fathers committed to the Lord, committed to righteousness, committed to their wives, committed to their children. We need fathers coming back after they mess up, keep loving their kids, right? So just encourage you guys, uh, all the fathers in the room, 
I also want to just shout out to Jim and Jen and their lovely family. Jim and Jen, uh, they served with 76 in, uh, in Atlanta. They came to Atlanta and helped us set up our HQ. So right now, it's just operating at such a different level than it was a couple years ago. And these guys gave up so much and sacrificed so much to work with us there. And they're our dearest friends. So clap for them as well. I know you guys know Jim and Jen. We love them dearly, and there's a lot of people here that I love, a lot of friends from uh, upstate New York. Some people, where are you from? And I just like stare, and I'm like, I don't really know. <laughs> but really, I'm from upstate New York, so that's, <laughs> that's my home. My kids are even more confused, trust me. <laughs> Bethany, actually, we're having a conversation in the car this morning, and Bethany says, I will never become the president of the United States. She's, and I said, why? And she goes, I was not born in America. So she cannot become the president. <laughs> anyway, you can cry. You can, we're kind of upset about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to show you guys a slideshow. I just want to give you a little update and show you what Send 56 does, okay? So uh, if you could pull up the slides, I think they're going to be here. Uh, we have two East Africa missions bases. We started 15 years ago and began a prayer center and a missions base and a missions training school called the School of Missions and Prayer. And so we have a two-year live-in discipleship program for Africans who have a calling to full-time missions. And so the way I explain it to people is that we exist to serve the African missions movement. There's not a ton of mission structures that help serve Africans in theology, discipleship, and sending mechanisms. You know, we have a lot of them in America. Maybe some of you have heard of YWAM. And they have, uh, I think, 40,000 staff missionaries. Um, and so similar to that, similar to a DTS with a sending wing that supports and trains and mobilizes these African missionaries. So... Our vision, like, like uh, Michael was saying, there's about 900 unreached people groups in Africa. An unreached people group is a people group that they have less than 2% Christian. And uh, we talk about it as, uh, at, like this, that it's about access. Um, many, Albany is like what, uh, the most unchristian uh, area in the nation or something like that uh, of America. And so there's a lot of people who really never even heard about Christ in in upstate New York, however, there's access, there's a lot of access to churches or to Christians so that if somebody wanted to hear about Christ, they could go to a church and hear about him. But for many peoples around the world, that is not the case, right? I like to say that uh, salvation is as near as the word of God is near to people. Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? And then how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. So we're born again through the living word of God, and that's the, the gospel that we proclaim in Jesus Christ. And so how can someone lay hold of that word and believe in it and receive justification by faith through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross unless we say it to them and speak it to them and have an access to the gospel for them? And so... We are all about getting the word near to those who need it. 
Amen. All right, so you guys can uh, just, this just a little bit of an update. So we have the East African hubs. Go ahead and change the slide. And, uh, and last year, we, our family moved to West Af- Central West Africa in Nigeria and to, to plant the third missions base. Now, there are about uh, 60 full-time missionaries right now uh, that are serving in East African countries, about seven countries. And each base in uh, Uganda and Kenya has about 30 mission students in them. And now we've started the third missions base in Jaws, Nigeria. So there's a picture of Jaws, Nigeria in the next slide. It's right there. This is Nigeria. You can see that. And uh, this is kind of cool because the, the green uh, states, there are 12 states in, Niger- in northern Nigeria, and they have Sharia law. So it's really like an Islamic country in the north. Actually, there's only six countries that have in their uh, constitution Islamic law, Sharia law, as it's practiced classically, like Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, and there's four others. And, uh, and so it's interesting because in the south, there's 200 million people in Nigeria. And the south, it's mostly Christian. So when, when, when uh, there was a scramble for Africa during the days of colonialism, the north was called the Sokoto Caliphate. So essentially, 200 years ago, a jihadist who was from the Fulani tribe took over the Hausa kingdom, and he colonized the entire northern part of Nigeria and began the Sokoto Caliphate. How many of you ever heard of ISIS? Yeah, like that. And they took over northern Nigeria. So until the early 1900s, when the, when the British colonized the south, and then they were, they, there was a scramble for Africa, they wanted to fight the French over the Niger in the north, they actually conquered the Sokoto Caliphate. But the way that the British did things was they kept in place the emirs and, the, and, and those who would essentially run it just how it was, but with British interests in mind. And, uh, and so that is northern Nigeria. It is, an, it is an Islamic nation with 100 million people that need the gospel. And a number of tribes. And the two most tribes that we're really focused on and looking at are the Hausa and the Fulani. And there's been, you know, a, a number of stories that I could tell you of just persecution and difficulty of Christians living in these areas. I had the privilege of teaching pastors for a, a whole day on Islamic, uh, what is Islam, how to reach Muslims, and the church among Muslims. And it was just intense as you, some Christians living in these areas are literally their families are being targeted and killed. You know, they're losing children. Uh, they're losing family members. There's abductions and things like that going on in Nigeria. It's very intense. It's like, uh, I think if you, if you look at uh, Operation World, is it Operation World? No, not Operation World. Open Doors, they listed it as the sixth most dangerous place to be a Christian in the world right now. And so Jaws, if you see the blue states, this is the middle belt and the blue uh, Jaws right there in the, in the peak, it peaks into this northern area where is the target of we want to see believers trained, equipped to preach the gospel to Muslims and bring the gospel to those areas that they need Christ. Amen? All right, so that's what we are doing in Jaws. And we, we moved there last year. And you can move to the next slide. And it's been awesome. Uh, I, I, we came back this year just encouraged about how God has enabled us to, within one year, leave the ministry running with awesome leadership 
and people on the ground, the house of prayers running several hours a day, and, and the school, we're launching the school, so in August we're getting our first intake of students, and we're just excited about what God is doing. For the first time ever, we bought a house in Africa, we renovated it, so our family has a house, we're planted in the ground, so we're really excited about that. We have mango trees, so if you want mangoes, you can come and eat them. And I, I meant to mention this suit. If you want a suit like this, handcrafted, 30 bucks, that's all you need. Just come to Jaws, Nigeria, and hang out with us at our house. I'll get you one. So I know you all were thinking, how do I get one of those suits? That's how you do it. And, um, and so this guy here, we, every Tuesday, we have an online, I do an online training in practical Muslim evangelism. How do you share the gospel with Muslims? And then we go out, and there's a local mosque. It's the biggest mosque in Plateau State. And we go about a block from the mosque, and we share the gospel with Muslims in the street. And, um, and it's been awesome. It's been really powerful. And one of the days as we were sharing, this guy right here in the blue shirt, white shirt, blue shirt, he's my friend Young. He's my coworker in the gospel. But this guy in the middle, he came to me, and he goes, I really am interested. I want to hear more about Christianity. But the imam told me, I'm not allowed to talk to you. Can, can I get your number? So we, you know, it was like secret agent man or something like it. You can't talk in public, but I want to talk to you privately. And so we actually did meet privately. And it, and it was so tense that the guy's like, listen, I really want to know more about Christianity. And we had like a two, three-hour conversation the first meeting. And uh, so it was awesome. We... Uh, he go, in the middle of the conversation, he goes, the first time we met, he goes, you know, Muhammad is, is dead and he's buried, but Jesus is alive right now in heaven. What does that mean? Can you explain that? Does that mean anything important? And I, because Muslims actually believe that Jesus, he didn't die on the cross, but he ascended to heaven like Elijah. And that's where he is. So it's an actually, it's a cool connection point and a bridge that we build with Muslims, some of those things. So it's just an awesome opportunity, but he starts going, look, I, I don't know what will happen to me if I become a Christian, but I have a friend, uh, Abdullahi, who also wants to become a Christian. We're, we're uh, disillusioned with Islam. We want to know more. You're answering our questions. We want to know more my, with my friend, uh, but it's dangerous. He goes, do you know what can happen to a Muslim if they come to Christ? I said, yeah, I know what can happen. In all, all four schools of Islamic law, the punishment for converting out of Islam is the death penalty in all four Sunni schools. And, um, and thank God, like most Muslim countries don't practice that. However, there's ostracization and many uh, things that come in a Muslim's life if they confer, convert and become a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ. And so I know that, you know, and he's like, I have family or this or that. What's going to happen? And that, that's the, the thing that you see, you know, how, how people are in the snare, in this snare, and they literally can't get out. But they want to know about Christ. Like the harvest is ready. And so the week, a week later, we met at a, at a Christian uh, place, and we had it time to speak together with Abdullahi and uh, Umar. And by the end of the conversation, we would talk about three hours with these guys, and they said, we want to give our lives to Christ. And both of these guys gave their lives to Christ. <laughs> and, you know, Muslims are coming to Jesus in our time more than in any other period of human history. Muslims are hungry to hear about Christ. 
And what I realize is, again, salvation isn't near as the word. If we were not willing to get in person, in the park, we would not have had the opportunity to lead these men to Jesus. Like we need boots on the ground. Romans 10 is still how the gospel is carried out and accomplished. It's still the primary strategy of the church. I mean, we got media and we got a lot of things to help us. You know, Rome has built roads that we can bring the gospel on. But beloved, we still need workers to preach the gospel with their mouth. And they need to speak it and they need to preach it in the streets, the highways and the byways, and call people to Jesus. Amen? So you can uh, move forward. I'm going to just share. So... Also, I just, I took a trip to our bases in uh, Kenya and Uganda last month, and I was just so deeply encouraged. In Uganda, we have a 400-seat prayer center that is really a unifying place for the body of Christ in the area where our ministry is. And 30 full-time students, but we had a conference, an overnight prayer, and there was 400 people in the, in the prayer meeting, or maybe 300, I don't have an actual count. But it was so encouraging to me because our base in Uganda is fully led by African uh, men and women. So it's fully indigenous-led. And that's, a, that's just an awesome thing. Like, we have such a powerful team of, of both uh, Western missionaries and African missionaries working together now, leading this ministry. And that ministry, they just send me a thing. They go, we ha- now have a live streaming of our prayer room. They're doing 18 hours a day of prayer in the city of Tororo where we're training missionaries and we have the mission school. It's so powerful what God is doing in, in, the, in Uganda. And so one of, the missionary, one of the teams that we sent out from Uganda to Sudan, and we sent these guys out to the Nuba Mountains in Sudan. So you can switch to the next slide. This is Paul Guloba. And uh, we needed a missionary to commit with their family to go to Sudan. And it is a difficult thing to commit to, even for an African missionary. I mean, it takes a lot to live in these places. And so we had a team of three guys, and uh, two of them were married, and they would go for six months at a time on the field, planting the churches, planting the base, and then come back to their families. And finally, uh, with, uh, there was an organization that helped us to actually build in, in uh, the border of Sudan and South Sudan build a base with housing. I mean, it's very basic, like block housing with an iron sheet roof, but we actually have our own land there where the teams can actually go and be planted there. Now, so crucial because this area is ripe for the gospel. You can go to the next, the next slide. This is, uh, these guys are right here on the border. This is South Sudan, and this is Sudan. And this circle shows you, this is where the base is for the Sudan team. I mean, the, the South Sudan team. These are, all these red dots represent unreached people groups. Most of them are Islamic people. And there's a refugee camp right at the border. And they actually get through the, an illegal government, you get passage through the border. Because Sudan and South Sudan is pretty messed up. But these guys are traveling through the border and going into the Numa Mountains and sharing the gospel and planting churches. Recently, they showed the Jesus film and had 200 
Muslims come to Christ in the Nuba Mountains. 200 Muslims from the Shakti people group came to Christ as they showed the Jesus film. And they've been uh, forming discipleship groups. You can go to the next slide. I just want you to kind of see. These are some of the unreached people groups that they're reaching. Go ahead to the next one. So these are our team, you know, doing ministry there. They started doing discipleship. And, and, uh, and so three of them came back, and then we sent a new team of new guys there. So they've been there for six years, and then a new team has gone up. And it was, two, it was three guys, three, three. And they landed on the ground, and they said it was just amazing because I just actually got to meet with these guys a couple months ago. Um, and they came back really testifying about what God was doing in Sudan and South Sudan. And so they said they landed there and they had uh, groups of Muslims from this unreached people group who are hungry disciples who want to be taught about the gospel, want to be taught more of the Bible, hungry for the Lord and reaching out and planting churches in their own people group. So powerful, so powerful. And they said, they shared, they go, one afternoon they brought this Muslim brought to us his daughter. He said, we've tried everything. There's not a lot of medical care there. We've tried everything for this girl. She has some sort of paralysis. And they, the team prayed for her. And the young girl was healed of her paralysis. And the guy came to Christ. The guy accepted Christ. And they found out he's an imam. He was an imam from a local mosque and came to the Lord. And so that's the kind of things that God is doing in the Muslim world, but we need to continue to see missionaries go forth into these places because if they weren't there, the word was not near to these people, right? Salvation is as near as the word. Praise the Lord. All right, I want to teach. I want to preach. So let's just turn this off. No problem. I'm just testifying. And I, I'm guessing like 1230. Okay. So we'll go till 130. Yeah, Jerry Rice knows. He knows me since I was a little child. So he's all good. I'm not going to offend him. I'm pulling up my notes. All right, I want to talk to you about partnership in the gospel, and hopefully just get enough out. I don't know if it'll all make sense, but just get enough out to also tell you the things that I just had on my heart while I was praying this morning and with you. But let's look at Philippians 127. Philippians 127. I love this verse for you guys. So we've been, our whole organization, we came together about a, a year ago, and we had our missionary gathering, all our missionaries from the field and their families. So we had a couple hundred people gathered together in Uganda, at our base in Uganda, and this was the passage that God put on our heart. Uh, as missionaries, as those also who are supporting missionaries, as like this has been so on our heart, and I just really feel it strongly for this church, too. 
It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So this means that the mandate of the church in the Great Commission that Jesus gave us, it's for the entire local church. It's for all believers. He's speaking to the elders. He's speaking to the professionals. He's speaking to the mothers. He's speaking to the mechanics, the engineers, those who work at CVS. He's speaking to all of us. How many people work at CVS? I worked there when I was 16, I think. Nothing wrong with that. Now, the context of this is the Roman society that persecuted believers. I mean, the book of Philippians, he is talking to believers in the Greco-Roman world who are experiencing a very difficult environment to be a Christian. It's not uh, conducive for the, for the body of Christ. And Paul himself, because of his missionary, uh, because of his mission, he's in prison about 800 miles away. In prison. And he's, in the book, he's kind of telling everyone, he's kind of going, guys, don't be afraid and don't be worried about what's going on with me. I'm good, but my message for all of us is that we would lock arms together for the sake of of the mission of Jesus that is the gospel going forth. In your city and in the nations. I mean, again, Paul's in jail for the gospel. You know, this is, this is the, in Rome where Nero would, he's known for, uh, most people believe that Paul was martyred by Nero but where he will uh, essentially light a city on fire and then blame the Christians. <laughs> That's what's going on. And in Jerusalem, it's not much better. I mean, they're, they're literally persecuting the church where they crucified Jesus Christ, and the believers were scattered out of Jerusalem. So, I mean, it's a pretty tough environment to be a Christian. <clears throat> you know, I'm t I was telling you about Nigeria. Nigeria is, is tough right now for believers. Again, it's just shocking the things that you hear um, and experience our kids' uh, teacher. They go to a pretty good school, and their teacher is an American woman who's married to a Nigerian, and she was abducted. And then my daughter texted me. She goes, I, Mrs. Heyman was abducted. I go, what? Yeah, she was abducted. And, um, and then for two days, she was taken to the bush. Really, what happened was guys with guns came into her house, and just her husband was there, her brother, they just came in with guns, said, come with me, took her, took her into the bush, and then two days later, the husband, everybody scrambled and got a, uh, a ransom, and they paid the ransom, and then she was back two days later. <laughs> but it was like, oh, Mrs. Hammond's back, thank God. <laughs> but I mean, that kind of shifts everything in you. Or like, like, I've done a lot of preaching. I'd have preached and done debates with a lot of Muslims, and one time I was in this crowd, it was like, 
5,000 Somalis and I'm the only white person and it was like, it was pretty tense and I'm sitting in the, in the tent with all the leaders and there's all these like sheikhs and imams behind me and there's this building like way off in the distance and I thought maybe there's like a sniper or something there and they might like take me out. But honestly, like I wasn't that afraid, but this kind of brings it home. It's like, oh, we're, there's risk here for the gospel. I mean, but, but far more than us, the people are being targeted are uh, Christians in the villages by radical jihadis who want to push uh, Islam, by, who want to Islamize certain areas. And there's also tribal conflict. Recently in the north, there was a woman named Deborah, and she went to college in the north. This was last year. It actually became an international story where she um, was on a WhatsApp chat. And she said, you guys should stop talking about Islam in the WhatsApp chat. So her fellow students accused her of blaspheming Muhammad, and they stoned her to death, got it on video, and then lit her on fire and got the whole thing on video. I mean, it's pretty rough being a Christian in these places. That's the kind of environment that Paul's talking about. Now, and honestly, like, when Africans hear about America, they're like, oh, my gosh, every, but every school is being shot up. Like, like, we hear it on the news, you know what I mean? That's kind of what it's like. There's 200 million people, so it's likely that you won't be kidnapped. It's likely that your family won't be, like, martyred. And it's, it's concentrated in certain areas, but, there's, there's, uh, but it's, it is challenging. What about the gospel in America? I mean, I think this has a lot to say to us right now in America. I was just speaking to somebody when I came back, and he's like, man, two years ago, I wasn't a conspiracy theorist. I really wasn't. He goes, but now all the conspiracies are just true. Like, is this all happening? <laughs> like, I feel like I'm going crazy. I think a lot of people feel like that in America. Like, what is going on? Like, we just went way too far the other direction really fast. And the church is kind of like, whoa, 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 how do we deal with all this? I actually believe that the church in America is in a Romans 1 moment. It's not that God is, that judgment is going to be done to America because of all of our sins. It's that judgment already is upon America because we've said no to God in many ways. We've ceased to become thankful to worship God, we've worshiped ourselves. I'm talking about the nation. And therefore, God is giving us over in judgment. I mean, I, I felt that years ago when, uh, when, because of the Obergefell decision, they lit up the White House in a rainbow color. And I mean, we had it this year. They're just hanging the rainbow flag there. And then, um, and then we also had in New York City, remember this, to celebrate the most liberal abortion laws in the whole nation, they lit up. Uh, the One World Trade Center in pink. I was like, those two images of the White House and the One World Trade Center just lit up in celebration of things that are deeply offensive to the Lord is evidence that we're being given over to our sin. And so for Christians, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on that is challenging our faith and our life uh, in the Lord. But here's the issue with, in Romans, when we look at all that, Romans 5 says that 
Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And so you might, you got to get the whole message of Romans. Actually, at the end, Romans 11, 12, he goes, God has given everybody over so that he might have mercy on everybody. So when it says that he's given over the nation or given over the people as judgment to their delusion and their sin because they cease to be thankful to God, it says that the Lord does that in hope. He does it in hope, and the hope is because he knows where it gets darker, the light will shine brighter, and more people will voluntarily give their lives to Jesus and be saved. So right now, like it is not a time as Americans or as people in the city of Albany to be depressed or anxious or defeated or under a heavy burden, right now we have the opportunity to shine as lights in the world. I want you to look at this Philippians passage. Philippians, uh, let's see here. Well, Philippians 2, 14 through 15. I love this. My mom actually used to say this verse to me all the time when I was a kid. Do, you know, do all things about murmuring and complaining. It was like her favorite verse. It was the verse that I learned <laughs> when I was a kid. Jesse, Philippians 2.14. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. But there's an interesting, because all of Philippians really has this, this idea of partnership in it and unity. And he's calling the church to be one for the sake of the gospel. And so that's part of what this is about in verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Verse 15 says, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I love that passage. I love that passage. You know, Jesus and Paul didn't really teach us that it was going to get better. They actually said it was going to be worse. Like in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he says, understand this in the last days, there will be times of difficulty because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. He goes, guys, it's going to get worse. And even deceivers and false prophets, like it's going to get worse and worse. And in that context, we had to hear what Paul's saying. He goes, you are called to shine in the midst of that. I actually wanted to look at that Philippians passage in the Bible. So turn, I, I don't have it open in the Bible, so let me just go there. Do you have a Bible? All right, go to Philippians 2.14, because there's just this awesome part. I want you to see the rest of it, because it's so cool.
Let's read the rest of it. You may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation. Like, that's your calling. To shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Look at verse 18. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Look at your neighbor and say, be glad. <laughs> be glad. Like, we are called to live happy holiness. Lives that are joyfully set apart to the Lord. Not judgmental, but joyfully set apart in service to God, loving God more than ourselves, loving our neighbor more than ourselves, that's what we're called to do. And that kind of surrender to Jesus causes deep joy in our life. The, really, the question is, do we want to, in America, we got to answer this question in the church. Do we want to please ourselves or please God? Which really means, do I love the Father or do I love the world? Because you cannot love God and love the world. Right? We know what the world is. It's not really complicated. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's not complicated. I and mean, we try to make it complicated so we can get away with more stuff. But it's really not complicated. 2 Timothy uh, 2.19 says, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. You don't even have to worry that many people in the church are not walking in sincerity and integrity. and like The Lord knows. He looks at the whole church. He knows who is sincere. He knows who loves him. And so that's what he says. In a great house, there are some vessels for honor and some for dishonor. This is a great house, you guys. And the Lord knows who are his. Look at how simple it is. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Do you guys believe this? See, this is how you shine as lights in the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Part of striving for the gospel is contending for holiness in our own lives. Choosing holiness in the fear of the Lord. Perfecting our faith in the fear of the Lord. Now, because we're being called to live a worthy life, he says, walk worthy of the gospel. Paul prays this over the Colossians, a similar phrase, and I want you to see it. Colossians 1, 9 through 11, he says, And so from the day we heard, we do not cease to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So there's that phrase. So he's praying for Christians. That we would walk worthy of Jesus. 
fully pleasing to him. Now, I love that phrase. I love that phrase. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. I mean, that's really the same theme that we're just talking about in Philippians. Now, why does it matter if we please God? I mean, that's an important question to ask, but, but it's actually so ingrained in who we are as human beings that we long to be pleasing. It's part of our nature. It's part of our human nature. So we don't even ask the question. And the, the real answer to it is that you were made for him. You were made by him and for him. So the deepest desires of your heart are meant to be met in God. And we're trying to meet them in all different places and circumstances and ways. We're trying to satisfy the desires, the surface desires, the fleshly desires. But the deeper desires can only be satisfied in the Lord. And, you know, but so, for example, it's such a strange question to even ask because it comes so naturally. Like, we don't ask, why does the, why do I as a father want to give a gift to my child, to my daughter or my son, so that they would delight in me as their father? Why do we do that? You know, we don't even ask the question. Why do we want to please our children? And we do, like we work for our children, we provide for our children, and, the, the, and something that satisfies the deepest levels of our heart are when our children are happy about us as fathers, right? I actually did not have a Father's Day message, but I'm doing pretty good here, <laughs> bringing it out. At the deepest level, you were made to delight in God and Him delight in you. I was, we were at this really nice uh, place, in, place in West Virginia. It was a resort because our, our friends said, we want to put you up at this resort. And when you visit us in West Virginia, we were like, that's great. I didn't even know there was a resort in West Virginia. <laughs> um, West Virginia is awesome. But it was beautiful, you know, and there's people hanging out by the fire, and there's a few tipsy, you know, tipsy rich people around the fire, and we were talking, and we started talking about Africa, and this lady, you know, with her wine glass, like, after she heard a couple stories about Nigeria, you know, you guys are asking the same question, why are you in Nigeria? Like, what? And so she did, she, why are you in Nigeria? And I can't remember what I said, I was like, because God told me to. I know you think I'm crazy, but God told me to. That's why I'm in Nigeria, for the sake of the gospel. Because anyway, these people need Jesus and they need help. And anyway, I said something. But, but honestly, here's the real answer. My deepest desire and vision for my life is I want to please God. I want to please the Lord. Like, at the end of my life, I want to hear the word, well done. My son, I'm pleased in you. I'm pleased with your decisions. I'm pleased with your life. I'm pleased with the fruit that you bore for my name. Can you imagine if that was the vision statement of your life? What would be different? If that was the vision statement of your life, what would be different? It's a really good question to ask. 
And Jesus said this thing in John 15, 10, and I never saw it this way, but I think it's very interesting to, to look at it this way. He said, if you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Now that's a very interesting passage and I always thought like we're supposed to receive the joy of the Lord, something like that. But I actually see it now as connected to obedience to the Lord. And when we are in obedience, that is a place of peace where the Lord actually delights in our obedience. And when he delights in our obedience, our joy is full. Right? Did you ever do something where you were like, I'm actually happy I did this? Because it cost me. And it was for him. And it was an offering to him. And I think he's happy about it. Like, that's awesome when we do that. Like, you picked that person who was suffering off the road, and you helped them, you took them to the hospital, and you cared for them, and you paid for their stuff, and then you left. And the Lord says, I'm delighted in that. Feel that. I'm delighted in you. I'm, I delight in that. And when we receive that delight from the Lord, that's what we're created for. We're created to glorify him. And he delights in us. Like, that's the relationship you were created for. And it's going to go on forever and ever. So what pleases the Lord? We hear about it in Philippians 2, 19 through 25. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. So remember, we're talking about walking worthy of the Lord, right? How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. So we need to stop and think about this. And... And um, I think what I want to call you to as a church is the importance that you stop thinking of your own interests, right? And think about the interests of the Lord. Like we're really consumed with our own desires and needs and wants and, blah, blah, blah. and we, and we want to feed ourselves, we want to feed our flesh, we want to live for ourselves. But Paul said, this is what it means to walk worthy of the Lord. Don't seek your own interest and serve God. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that, James said, right? And um, so what does it mean? I remember in youth group, you know, when I was young, I was just trying to think of an example. When I was young, I was like, we need more games. You know, we need more cool stuff. We need more games. I want to be in a lock-in. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to do cool stuff. That's what I wanted. That was my own interest. <laughs> and then one day I was encountered by Jesus, like in a, just in a powerful way. And it shifted everything in my head, like just so wild how God changes us. And suddenly it was like, no, 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 no. What you want is what I want. So I came back to youth group. I was like, 
we got to stop playing games. Like, why do we have this ping pong table and the foosball set? What are we doing? You know, I tell my youth pastor, like, let's stop playing games. We got to have all night prayer. Why are we doing lock-in? We got to pray all night. Get the youth at the altar interceding for the loss in our schools. Like, that was everything shifted and everything changed. And my youth pastor, like, looked at me like, what happened to you? Like, you were one way, I mean, that, what you want is totally different than what you just said to me, like, six months ago. That shift has to happen in our hearts. That shift has to happen where God's purposes are greater than what we want, our own interests, our own self-desires, our own flesh, our sin, like Jesus is more worthy, Jesus is greater, my heart's desire is for him and to be pleasing to him with my life. I, I count all things as loss. That's what Paul said. Everything is loss. For the sake of knowing him, being found in him, I count everything as loss. Forget what's behind and I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's chapter 3. So what is the interest of Jesus Christ? It's the gospel, right? He said, "You, Timothy, you have served with me in the gospel sincerely, you know, not out of desire for gain or anything. Like, you're serving. You actually care about the people of God. You actually care about the lost. You actually care about the gospel. It's not about you. And, um, that's what essentially God's heart is about. He desires the salvation of the lost. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. He's patient, he's long-suffering, and he's sending forth workers, and he's calling the church to lock arms and side by side strive together for the faith of the gospel. Whether in our city or in the nations. But look, here's the thing. I'm calling you as a church to do this, to lock arms. Now, the, the imagery in Philippians of strive by side, for the, side by side for the faith of the gospel, the imagery is the Roman army and legion who would have shields and they'd lock together and they'd move in one formation together. Mean, what I mean is that it's a military imagery. Like we are in a battle it's becoming harder and harder to be a Christian. It's becoming harder and harder to say yes to Jesus, no to sin. It's harder and harder to deal with the idiosyncrasies of the culture and the things going on and being pressed. And some pastors are probably going to go to jail soon. And there's a number of things happening in America, but all around the world in different circumstances. It's hard. Like in Nigeria, it's hard. But we got to come together in unity and love in one mind and contend together and hold each other up and contend for the sake of the gospel. But we can't get this right if our own interests are the thing that we care about. You won't, I mean, one of the things he talks about is unity and love. Like, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus who humbled himself, became a man, became obedient to the point of death. What was he talking about? He was talking about unity. He's like, with your brother and your sister in Christ, like, you guys got to love each other. 
You gotta forgive each other. You gotta walk together. You can't just be seeing your brother and sister, uh, all their idiosyncrasies and their weaknesses. You gotta call out the glory in them. You gotta see what God is doing in them and call it out and contend for it. And you have to overlook those offenses that you have with them and strive to come together. Yeah, if we don't get this right about the, our interests, we're not gonna get to the point where like the church in Philippi, like where they were actually partnering with the Apostle Paul, he's 800 miles away. They're actually impacting not only their city, but the nations. They've, they're actually partners with a missionary who's in prison. And Paul's saying, guys, don't be discouraged. Let's keep going together. I know this is getting hard, but we gotta keep going together. We gotta strive for unity and holiness. But the key is, do not live for yourself, your own interest, but live to please the Lord. Like, is the desire of your heart to please Jesus? I promise you it's the only thing that will matter on Judgment Day. It's the only thing that will matter in the end. Lord, I love you. I want to live for you. I want to please you. Use me. Amen. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. Hey, thank you, City Church, for supporting missionaries in Africa. I didn't get to that part of the message, but awesome job I we love you and appreciate your partnership for the sake of the gospel it is awesome like one of the things that's just so encouraging to me is the fact that Paul can be 800 miles away they probably didn't see each other for like years and he still goes we're in this together it's so amazing it's so awesome and they carried him in their heart there's all this unity between them and you guys have really stood with us and 76 for a long time and and I think that glorifies and pleases the Lord like I really appreciate it and I thank you I have something in my heart I'd like us to just kind of hold hands we're gonna commit just to strive together for the faith of the gospel but I actually believe that the Lord wants to speak something So we want to just, Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us for a moment. Lord, thank you for City Church. Thank you, God, for this people and for the calling that you have on the pastors 
and on the believers, the saints of the Lord, to shine as lights in this city. I see the Lord bringing you as a people into greater authority in the spirit over the city to contend with the principalities and the powers. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. What I sense the Lord and Sorry if this, uh, you know, no one told me I could say this as, as from the Lord, but I'm just presenting it in weakness, and you can test it all you want. I believe that the Lord is releasing a greater spiritual authority on this family, and maturity and authority, and he's entrusting more to you. And he's calling you to contend for the city. There is an anointing of evangelism. And you should not be quiet or timid about the call on this church, you should be in certainty that he has called you to proclaim Christ in this city. Michael, I just see the anointing of an evangelist upon your life and the burden of the Lord for the city. And the Lord is giving you more. The Lord is giving you more. You are contending with principalities and powers. And this church will preach a gospel of repentance and holiness before the Lord. And many lives will be transformed. Many lives will be delivered. Many lives will be set free through the power of the gospel. Lord, I pray for contending intercession upon this church, that they would stand in the gap for the city, that they would stand in the gap for the city, that you would release the burden of the Lord that will bring forth a cry of intercession from this house. I just believe that the Lord is, is inviting you, inviting you to see this community, this place, and your calling in a new way. You are an army of the Lord. You are an army of the Lord. God is wanting to release greater authority for the city.
greater authority for the city, greater grace, greater grace, greater grace, but it's going to come with greater sacrifice. It's going to come with greater sacrifice. Mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, laying down their lives together, locking arms together as the army of the Lord, as the army of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Can you just speak to the Lord for a moment? We'll just take one more moment. Just speak to the Lord and whatever he's putting on your heart to give to him, to commit to him, to speak to him, to say to him. Say, God, I want to live. I want to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing. I want to lay down the things that are necessary to see breakthrough. I want to live in greater consecration. I want to believe you for greater things, deliverance, healing, drug addictions, broken, drug addictions, broken, prostitutes delivered, the poor reached with the gospel, families set free, brought back together, motherless homes touched, fatherless homes touched. God, that this city would come into our hearts in a new way. You would release a burden of intercession that would give authority. That would give authority to the proclamation. There's a new level of proclamation coming upon this church. You will not be ashamed to speak the things that God is telling you to say. You will not be afraid to speak the things that God is telling you to say. You will speak with clarity the gospel. Intercession. Those intercessors in this house, I just call them forth in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask you to release a prophetic burden for the city. A prophetic burden for the city, God that they would carry it. See the breakthrough. Just let the Spirit of the Lord rest on you. He's moving in this room. He's moving on our hearts right now. Wow, God, God, we cry out. Can we just do this? Let's pray for Albany. I just feel a burden for Albany. God, we ask you for salvation. Just pray for salvation. Pray for salvation. Pray for salvation. Pray that lives will be set free from addiction. Lives will be set free from immorality. Lives will be set free. Set free, healed, delivered, saved. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And we will not shy away. We will not shy away from that. We will live as lights in the world. God, we pray for this city that there would be breakthrough in the city. Go ahead, lift your own voice. Just lift your own voice right now. God is awakening the cry of intercession in this church. It's connected to the burden of the Lord. It's connected to the burden of the Lord. It's connected to the burden that the Lord would give you in your heart. You cannot, 
you cannot move to a new level of prayer and intercession unless the Lord releases a prophetic burden. That prophetic burden will help you to pray. That prophetic burden, we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit groans. Go ahead, one more minute, one more minute. One more minute. God, we pray, God, we pray for the city. We pray for souls. God, the most unchurched city in the nation of America, you have put us here. You have put us here, and we will give our lives for you. We believe that you are pleased with the offering of our lives, that we would lay them down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. God, we give up the compromises. We want to see salvation break forth. We want to see the light of God break forth in the city. Arise and shine. Arise and shine. Arise and shine. For your light has come. This actually, as I was praying and I was reading the light of the world verse again. The salt passage was put on my heart for you guys. You are the salt of the earth. I don't know what that means. It's pretty cool though. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, it's not useful anymore. You guys are in this city. You are in this church as the salt of this city. You are the remnant of God's people in this city. Thank you, Jesus. There's like prayer. People are praying. Groups. Go ahead. Just keep praying. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Give us courage. Give us faith. Give us boldness. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Has anybody been struggling with oppression, depression? Just lift your hand. You've been struggling with oppression, depression, anxiety, especially over the culture. I just want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord to those who have looked at the darkness of this world and they feel oppressed, they feel depressed. God, release your joy right now. Release your joy right now. Release your joy as we, as we surrender to you, Jesus. Release your joy. Release your presence, God. Amen. I'm just going to give it to the worship team. You guys go for it.